Welcome to the Just Start Tech podcast brought to you by Central Valley Christian School. This is your source for growing in your pedagogy by hearing stories from others on this journey just like you. Because learning never stops, it just starts. So here we go. of the Just Start Tech Podcast. This is episode 13. As always, I am your host, Nathan DeGroat, a technology coach at Central Valley Christian School in Visalia, California, and I am excited to share this episode with you. I lined up an interview with Michelle Maciel, a high school math and science teacher here at CBC, and she has some great wisdom to share with you about technology integration. But before that, I want to talk about the difference between technology use and technology integration. So let's get started. If I were to ask you, how does technology impact your teaching and student learning, which way would you begin? Would you start with, I use technology too, or we use technology too, or would you rather go with, I integrate technology in this way, blah, 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 blah. I think for many of us, it would be the former. I honestly would respond that way as well, but I ran into an interesting infographic from teachbytes.com where it compares technology use versus technology integration. I think this infographic is somewhat similar to the SAMR model where we rank tech integration based on substitution, augmentation, modification, or redefinition. So let's tackle some of these comparisons. If you look at the date and the show notes, this was from 2013. While a lot of new information and models and resources have come out since then, I think many of these comparisons still ring true. If you want to access the infographic for yourself, I'll put a link into the show notes. The first two comparisons talk about the reason and timing of technology. If you're using technology, it can often be random or arbitrary to perform a task, and it's usually an afterthought, whereas integration is purposeful and planned, becoming a part of the classroom environment. The next comparison is whether technology is used just to check a box or not. Are we using tech for the sake of using it, or are we utilizing tools to support our goals and our learning targets? Next, what is it doing? Using technology means you're using it to instruct students on content, while integrating technology means you are engaging students with content. And who is using the technology? Integration means that students are the ones utilizing tech during the lesson rather than the teacher. Is it used for lower level thinking skills or higher level thinking skills? Is it used by individuals working alone or does it facilitate collaboration? Is technology facilitating activities that are, you know, just easier to do than printed materials? Or is it being used to do something that would be nearly impossible without the tech? And finally, is it peripheral to the learning environment or essential to the learning environment? Just like the SAMR model, not every lesson has to be at the redefinition stage. Sometimes we just need to assess students with an auto-graded quiz, but I think these questions are helpful to assess how we are integrating it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this matter.
For the interview portion, I chose to interview Michelle Maciel, a high school science and math teacher at CBC. Listen in to Michelle as she explains how she has embraced technology, but really focuses on tools that help her achieve her purposes, not simply trying everything under the sun for the sake of trying it. I'm here with Michelle Maciel. Michelle is a high school science and math teacher here at CVC. Michelle, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yes, hello, Nathan. Of course, he just said I'm Michelle Maciel. I've been here at CVC for about six years. I've been teaching, actually, for almost 20 years. Um, Prior to that, I worked for the USDA, and I did a little bookkeeping for some ag businesses. And since we're talking about, I guess, computers and stuff like that and technology, a couple of those businesses that I worked for, I actually converted their bookkeeping from a manual basis to a computer-based bookkeeping. And so literally I had tax manuals because when it came to payroll, so I would, I had itemized everybody there and I'd have to find the chart for them and find their tax status. And that would be my multiplier. So it was very tedious and looking up their handwritten journals at, you know, I worked for a hay company. And so I'd have to read through their chicken scratch, (laughs) put it all in and write out these invoices. So you can imagine when I discovered QuickBooks and we converted that over and all I had to do was type in and they even gave me, instead of chicken scratch, I got typed (laughs) um, stuff. It was, I would say it cut my work down. I I only worked 10% of what I had to in the past. Yeah, I know that's interesting. Yeah, thinking about the way that technology has changed jobs, like just the hours of bookkeeping alone. I can only imagine how much time, like I think about going back to grading and having a grade book that you have to do by hand. I remember slide scales and, and things like that, teachers using that. And it's like, oh, no, yeah. you just put it in and it's calculated for you. I totally hear you on that. It is crazy. Yeah, I remember hand grading as well. Yeah. Ugh, thank you for RenWeb. <laughs> Any other hobbies or anything? Well, I think I mostly love spending time with my husband and we like running and cycling. One of the big things we do is follow Chandler's competitions around. He's a okay. distance runner. Yeah. yeah. And it's really fun to not only go to the actual location, mm-hmm. but to see him compete. And yeah, we have a lot of fun with that. Other than that, I think I love reading I've done some writing. I read a lot. So, <laughs> What's your favorite novel or author or anything like that? So I'm into Jane Austen. So I've read uh, her works, you know, more than a handful of times. So yeah. just when I'm in the mood, she's a number one. I do like thing, mystery type okay. novel. It, and I don't necessarily follow a particular author, a current author at all. I just might see something interesting that I pick up, but... I think in the summer, that's when when I feel in the mood to actually do those self-help type books because (laughs) (laughs) these novels are kind of more of a getaway. So yeah, yeah, I try to find that time so I could just kind of set my mind apart from the regular work day. Yeah, that's true. You need a break after long eight (laughs) hours or so with kids and all the extra work that comes with it. For sure. 
One question that I really enjoy hearing from people that I interview is talking about what technology looked like for them as children. So thinking about schooling and your childhood, what's one of the first technological advancements that you remember? So I know you gave us these questions a little bit in advance, and I really felt like, okay, my age is showing big time because... <laughs> I remember being in awe, I think I was about 10, of the game Pong. So a yeah. friend of ours caught it, and it literally, just a couple of lines and a dot on the screen, and and that was entertainment yeah. to us. And I and I thought, wow, this is super cool, and I it, it brought out the competitiveness in me. <laughs> so thinking how much it changed going from that to Pac-Man. Wow. Yeah. Right. And then now I don't even this current stuff. I don't I don't even touch it. If I did, I would probably be addicted. Yeah, I know there's yeah, just so many people making games and things like oh, that. Yeah. That's way beyond Pong. Um, oh, so far. <laughs> it's like, how, how have we come that far in this amount of time? It is truly awesome. Yeah. yeah. In your teaching in math or science, uh, tell us a little bit about a project that you're working on with your class. Uh, maybe explain a little bit about how you came about developing it, what are students doing in the project, and how is technology enhancing that? I mean, there's several things we use technology um, in my classes, but as far as a project, if I wanted to talk about that, that specifically, um, I think about what I'm doing in math and let's uh, let me just stop a second. My original project a few years ago when I started was kind of in the form of a report. You know, what is a linear regression? And I had students yeah. define things. And so they they did type a report, yeah. um, but they also had to submit with it a hand-drawn graph that corresponded with the report. They used our graphing calculator to come up with the regression equation. So it was all these separate components, and, it, and every student, I mean, it depended on their creative ability or just neatness. The presentation yeah. was scattered. You know, it just depended on the student. So taking it fast forward to where we are now, everybody has their Chromebook. They use Google Slides to create their presentation instead of some Word document. They put their own personality to it. They can throw in tables. They add outside links to show the sites that they're um, working with. Yeah, and Desmos. So now we can have Desmos create that beautiful graph and it could be labeled pretty and, and trend line set in. It's really cool. And not only that, instead of um, me standing in front of the classroom explaining something and showing them on the screen, yeah. I could create a quick screencastify and at their leisure, they mm. could pause things and use it to help with directions if they're unsure of what they're doing. So it's really, I guess, brought the quality level of a project up. Yeah. And it and I don't know, the ante is really set higher for them to reach. And I think in the end, if I sit back and look at it, I really there they would say it's a lot of work, mm -hmm. but I think they could look at their end result and be satisfied in a pleasing presentation. You know, they can yeah. make things look beautiful. Even the least artistic student can make it look super nice and quality. 
Yeah, I know yeah. thinking about reports and, and all of that, I mean, it's a lot of writing and that can be kind of a roadblock for a lot of students. And then you think about presenting a report or presenting information that's just in a document can be very difficult to kind of sift through as a teacher or even like just if you're wanting to look at a student's work, having this big long document, it's like, uh, I don't want to like dedicate time and like really dive into this, but you change it into a presentation. And especially I've noticed with students doing things with slides and stuff like that, the tools available allow them to have a lot of creativity, but also make things look nice. Like just thinking about the different fonts that you can use and how you organize things and all these skills that really cause them to think about how they create something and like what is this going to look like for my audience. I think things like slides, people would be willing to share that and people would be willing to look at that because they can get like a visual representation off a slide and maybe ask for their questions or things like that. But I really like what you're talking about with uh, using Desmos because think about, yeah, it's important for our students to be able to like understand how to do a skill. But I think once we get to that understanding, okay, I know, maybe I know what uh, regression equation is going to look like. Instead of drawing it out each time, I can use the calculator or use a tool to kind of graph it for me. And then I can go a step beyond and maybe answer some higher level thinking questions about that graph. Whereas I, I don't know if before it took a while to kind of hand draw the graph and maybe things didn't get right the first time. And then, yeah, you're talking about you can show this once in front of the class, but if a student's absent or <laughs> the student's not ready to do it, they're going to forget it. So having a, a screencast is definitely helpful. Yeah. And it, as you were talking there too, I was thinking, yeah, the enjoyment factor as a teacher to be able to follow a rubric and do the grading process yeah. of it is much higher. You know, I, I, yeah, like to look through their projects at the end and even comment on yeah. the prettiness of it, I suppose. So, yeah. Do you find yourself with this project kind of seeing, like checking in with them as they're doing it? Like since you're able to maybe hop on their slide while they're working or since you're doing, you have screencasts and things, does that give you some more freedom to kind of work individually with students or ask students questions? Or would you say it's more like outside of class that they're working on this? No, on the first part, I absolutely, I always have them start their project by adding it to the assignment so that I can view their yeah. progress. And some of them will, you know, I might be somewhere else in the classroom and they'll just say, hey, can you look at my fourth slide? Yeah. And is that, you know, and if it's a really good example, I'll project it for all the students to see and say, okay, look at how so-and-so did this. And I think that was very well done. If you want to model yours after this, that's a good model. So they end up being models for themselves. And yeah. sometimes a student might do something beyond my expectation. And I really like to um, highlight that and showcase that for the rest of the class to see. And, yeah. and I think that they feel really satisfied when I bring up a good work. Yeah. And it, again, ups the ante for the rest of them. <laughs> Yeah. 
I think that's probably one of the best things that I love about Google is students being able to yeah, add their work to Google Classroom. Mm -hmm. It's nice and organized for you so that you can easily pop in on these students and you can give them feedback more easily along the way instead of they're just doing it and kind of hoping that it's done right and they turn it in and if they didn't meet your expectations, the likelihood of them making revisions after they've done the whole thing is kind of, yeah, drops quite a bit. But True. by being able to do it in the process in class, like, hey, can you check this out and, and give me some feedback is great. And then I like how you talk about yeah, using student examples because yeah. I think you don't necessarily know what you can do until you see it sometimes. And so I might be stuck on something or not sure how I can improve something, but if I see another example where a student did something really cool, maybe I can kind of apply that to my own slide or my own project. Absolutely. I agree with that. So tell us a little bit just about some of like the regular tech things that you do in your class, because I know that you do quite a bit of things just kind of on a regular basis every day. This is how technology is just a part of your classroom environment. Yeah, so on a daily basis, I use Deseri. Um, that app has uh, really helped me because of all of its um, abilities. They have the options of choosing colors, the types of pens, mm -hmm. lines and shapes I can throw on to the screen. It could actually blank out the screen that I might be projecting at the certain time. I say, okay, let's stop right here, and I might throw an example up there, and then I could pop back into the presentation yeah. that we're using. So yeah, it is really an endless amount of, I guess, abilities that it allows me to project for the students. So Deseri is a number one thing I use every day. I use also Nearpod. I like that for reviews. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, and again, that's one I haven't even used. They keep changing their uh, options. Yeah. Like so I really haven't even gone through everything that they are now capable of. Originally I did, but now I'm kind of behind the times <laughs> and I need to get to that. But I like that because, um, again, I could highlight a student's work if they're diagramming um, kinetic theory, you know, using solid, liquid and gas. I could say, OK, look at how, you know, this person shows the molecules filling a container for a gas and... And it's showing the erratic nature of those molecules because they are in the gas state. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really great. I can highlight. And then the students that might be doing it incorrectly can see, oh, that's what you meant. Even though yeah. we've done it a couple times in class, they need another student almost yeah. to show them. And I think that's very effective. Yeah. As far as other things that I've used, uh, on a regular basis, quizzes. Yeah. Quizzes does a great job of really doing, um, I guess, scoring them more fairly. I used to use Kahoot, I think it is, but I've gone away from that because I found quizzes a little bit more competitive for them. Yeah. So it's a quick formative assessment, and it depending on the length of it, you know, it could take two minutes of your class time or five minutes. Yeah. You know? So those are super quick. And I guess another couple that I use pretty regularly, again, is Quizlet. I use Quizlet Live as a, a chapter review for science often. On a weekly basis, I use Edpuzzle in math. So yeah. 
The way I use that one is right before they're going to do a regular quiz, they will watch something on the most recent concept because that would be the one that they have the least practice in. Yeah. And so I just have them do an ed puzzle that has short questions in the middle of it, and they can answer those and be on board and ready to take the quiz they're about to on paper. No, I've never thought of using Edpuzzle in that way. I've heard of teachers using it and, you know, kind of recording their lectures so that students can kind of go at their own pace or using it for, like, homework outside of the class. But, yeah, as a review tool, like, we, like, maybe you taught this concept just the other day, but they need it to just go back and see it again or, yeah, you know, slow it down or go back and review a certain concept yeah, that's a great tool as well. And would you say like you have a library of these for students to watch or is it mostly like just your most recent? So I have it in my content in okay. Edpuzzle, yeah. but I don't necessarily let the students access it. It's just on a weekly basis and yeah. then I revise it for the next week. But that is an interesting thought, like it's something that they could go to. The thing with Edpuzzle, the, well, I guess I make them accountable to watching it mm -hmm. so they can't just skip along in yeah, the Edpuzzle. Yeah. I could set that down, but I want them to prove to me they have watched it. Yeah. So I guess the library of it, they might not do it because that would be tedious. They couldn't um, fast forward and jump around necessarily unless I made it with that option. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, sometimes we can think about video and it, we can be like, oh, that would be great. Except for how do I know that my students are watching it or how are they, how do I know they're understanding it? And a tool like Edpuzzle does allow you to prevent them from skipping and then you can embed certain types of questions in there if you want so that you can, you can pause the video and they have to answer these. And I can just give you kind of a quick snapshot whether you're doing it kind of in class or if it's a homework thing you look and see okay all these students watched it maybe this one didn't do a quick glance at their responses and like all right i know that most of my class got this concept but there was this one misconception and so now you can start your class maybe addressing that misconception before it kind of settles in even more. Yeah, you're right. I do like looking at the most missed question or that yeah. sort of thing. It, it is a great, like I said, formative assessment again to make sure they're all on board. All right. So I know that this has kind of been a journey over the last couple of years as we've gone one-to-one -one and thinking about your students kind of yeah, just over the years, how they've been more experienced with their Chromebooks and just different things that you've tried along the way. What words of advice or wisdom would you give to your colleagues? So if they're like, hey, Michelle, that sounds great. I love what you're doing in there, but I don't know if this is going to work in my class or I don't know if I can do it. What would you tell them? I would tell them, give it a try. And if you're not sure where to start, I guess you could talk to anyone who has tried whatever app or whatever thing we're looking at. I tend to go on YouTube a lot mm -hmm. and see, you know, I don't know, I would just search, how is this used in the classroom or something yeah. of that nature. And there are so many good examples there that I can, if I feel like it relates well with my teaching style mm -hmm. and, and it's not, I guess 
jumping back, I always hesitate to do something that it seems like it's doing exactly what I already am doing with yeah. one that works. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why reinvent the wheel? Yep. But there are always possibilities of improving that wheel, yeah. right? So I say give it a try, ask around, and YouTube it and mm -hmm. see what other teachers have come up with. Yeah, I think you're, you're right there that you don't necessarily always want to just jump onto the new bandwagon because there's a new tool out and, oh, it can do this maybe one extra thing than my previous tool. Yeah, you kind of want to weigh, is it going to be worth learning this new tool? Maybe I have to change my content. Maybe I have to reintroduce my students. Is, is all of that going to be worth it or am I, am I getting what I need out of the tool? And so I think, yeah, sometimes it can be overwhelming to see like, oh, there's, For there's sure. all these tools out here. But if you pick one and try it out and see, yeah, see examples. There's so many examples out there, whether it's on YouTube or people on their blogs or anything like that, we can get so much information. And then, yeah, you're right. We have a lot of teachers doing a lot of different things and you just got to ask around. Yeah. Shoot an email and say, has anyone tried this? And yeah, I think we'd be really surprised um, because it seems like most of the teachers at CBC are doing some sort of really cool thing yeah. in their class with technology. All right. Anything else that you would like to share about your projects or just technology integration in general that we didn't get to discuss? So I want to, I think that technology has been pretty awesome to include in our classrooms. I was thinking in the old days, <laughs> I, I really love like seeing all these students on task and yeah. doing whatever. That was a hard thing to do. But now we can incorporate our technology and have every student on a task contributing at the same time. Yeah. We're not, they're not just sitting there with their hands on their chin, waiting for the person before them to do something. You know, they're all a part of it. And the other thing I noticed too, we have quiet students. Mm -hmm. We have yeah. very vocal students. <laughs> and those are the ones we remember. But those quiet students don't always, they have a lot to give. Yeah. And yeah. And so I think technology has allowed them to have a voice. Yeah. It's like I can, that one student that never says a word, I could be projecting whatever their work is on the screen and say, look what a great example. And you could see that builds them up and they yeah. feel valued a little more. So I think that's pretty sweet. No, I totally agree with that. I remember, I think it was like the first time I used Flipgrid and had students do like some video responses to some questions. When I would ask those questions in class, I would get like two people to give me their answer and then everyone else is just like, yeah, I agree. But I did a video response. They could do it on their own time. And I remember I had one student in particular, very bright, but wasn't willing necessarily to share in front of the class. And the answer and response given was like way beyond my expectations and way beyond what other people were thinking. And so I was able to kind of, yeah, get that from her and use that response to spark further discussion. So you're right, like we can, we can hear from every student. Whereas before, you get your three that raise their hand and yeah. then it just kind of dies. For sure. 
All right. That ends our interview here. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Michelle. Oh, of course. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with Michelle. What I really admire about her is that she's open to change and learning, but she takes the time to evaluate the why. Why would I want to make this change? In what ways will it benefit me and my students? Thinking about what I spoke about at the beginning of the episode, Michelle isn't one who uses technology, she integrates it. For Jumpstarters today, I want to talk a bit more about some of the tools that Michelle mentioned. First up is Doseri. This is a free iPad app that turns your iPad into a whiteboard with many different tools. Personally, I love the different background patterns you can have, from different sizes of line and graph paper, to music staffs, as well as maps of continents. Michelle mentioned being able to control her slides and annotate over them. I will mention that she is using this in conjunction with Doseri Desktop, which costs $30 for a one-time fee. From there, your iPad becomes a way to control your computer while also providing you with the different annotation tools. Michelle mentioned that she can pause her lesson and quickly create a new problem for students to work on. I think this is a great way to utilize formative assessment in your class. If students aren't getting it, try a different problem or modeling it a different way before moving on. Next up is quizzes. Michelle said that she used to use Kahoot but switched over to quizzes, particularly because students can work at their own pace and it seems a bit more appropriate for her age of students. If you aren't familiar with quizzes, it allows you to quiz students on multiple choice sets that you create or you can even reuse it from other teachers. Students can work through the set, earning more points as they get questions right. In the end, you are given some great feedback on what was correct or incorrect, how many students missed this problem, or how many problems did this student miss, and things like that. It can easily be assigned to individuals or as homework, allowing students multiple opportunities to study and prepare. Next up is Nearpod. We at CVC are fortunate to have a site license, so we have all the premium features as well as some unlocked content that might relate to your subject. Nearpod has certainly evolved over the last several years, adding different ways to create content, and it can be a bit overwhelming to try it all. What I really enjoy about Nearpod is that you can take an existing slideshow or PowerPoint and embed questions such as multiple choice, free response, or draw it. Splitting up your presentation to ask students questions and gauge their understanding can definitely help you determine what to focus on in the upcoming minutes of class. Another great feature of Nearpod is the homework option. It doesn't always have to be a live session, but I can allow students to complete it at their own pace. This could be set up outside of class, but it could also be during class. Maybe it's a station in your classroom and students complete a brief Nearpod activity demonstrating their understanding. And finally, let's talk about Edpuzzle. I think that video can be an excellent aid for learning. While it shouldn't be the only thing we rely on, it definitely has its benefits. Michelle touched on some of them, such as being able to give a review resource, students can watch again or go back if they miss something, and Edpuzzle also allows you to keep students accountable for interacting with a video. I think every teacher should become familiar with screencasting, 
you can easily duplicate yourself multiple times, whether that is for students, for a substitute, or even parents. Using a tool like Screencastify and Edpuzzle will allow you to make a station for students and have some data on their understanding. I think sometimes when a teacher is not involved in a station, it can be difficult to gather meaningful data, but the types of questions that you ask can give you some excellent insight. If you are intrigued and want to try some of these tools in your classroom, I would definitely encourage you to reach out to me, Michelle, or as she mentioned, start looking some things up. You never know what might resonate with you. I want to end with this quote from Maureen Suhendra. This probably isn't a name you are familiar with, but she's definitely someone who has helped shape my teacher journey. She spent several years working with Khan Academy and piloting the program in schools across Idaho, and this is what she told us when we were getting ready to launch. Start simple, but just start. Those last two words were the basis for naming this podcast, and I think every single guest so far has said the same thing in some capacity. And honestly, that's the truth. You aren't ever going to do it if you never start. But don't think that your journey has to start where someone else's journey is. There might be many years of experience and many mistakes made in order for that person to get there. So start simple, but just start. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you would be so kind as to subscribe and leave a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Share the podcast with others who would find it useful. And if you have something you want to share or want to be featured on the show, reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Just Start Tech or reach me by email at ndgroat at cvc.org. Remember, learning never stops. It just starts. 